Hello, folks. Dr. Maurice Selby here, medical director, producer, and co-host of Health in Harlem on WHCR 90.3 FM and the Health in Harlem podcast. While we strive to bring you the most up-to-date, reliable, evidence-based information to help you live the healthiest life possible, this show does not substitute for an evaluation by a trained and licensed medical professional. It is highly recommended that any advice or recommendations on medications, treatments, nutrition, fitness, preventive services, etc. be implemented under the guidance and supervision of your primary medical provider or appropriate specialist. With that said, we hope that you enjoy and learn from our program, and please be sure to let us know how we can best serve you in future shows. Hello, ladies and gentlemen of the listening audience. This is Maurice Selby. And my name is Giorgio Malouf. And you're listening to the one and only Health in Harlem on WHCR 90.3 FM New York, the voice of Harlem, and the Health in Harlem podcast, featured pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts these days, ladies and gentlemen. And I want to wish everybody out there a happy holiday season. Um, definitely excited about that. How are you feeling, Giorgio? I'm feeling amazing, man. It's it's the holidays. What better time of year? And we're in New York, so plenty of festivities around and plenty of things to see. So uh, just on the up and up, ready for 2022. You're ready for 2022? I don't know, man. I'm like, goodness, another year on the horizon. Um, we got those New Year's resolutions coming up, ladies and gentlemen. So I would say that if you had not made one by now, you need to get on it. Um, because I am an advocate of getting a running start on that stuff. And I would say, you know, pun intended on my part, because um, I did get a (laughs) a running start. So, all right, I'm going to just lay it out there, right? My New Year's resolution at the beginning of this year, and actually started in 2020 um, working on this, was to run 600 miles. Oh, wow. And um, No, I'm dead serious. That was my resolution. I'm at like five, so I don't know. Um, I don't know if I'm going to get there. You got like, like anxious 30, about 30 miles coming. for the next two weeks. <laughs> I got like 60 to go, yo. I got like 60 to go. And that's what we were talking about just before airing, ladies and gentlemen, just before we got on. Um, I was telling Georgie, I was like, yo, I got to get out and run today um, in order to stay on somewhat of a pace to maybe accomplish that goal before year's end. So that's why I'm like, damn, man, we need like another week before 20, <laughs> before we um, edge on into 2022. I wish we had that extra 50 you got it, 30 come on you you just got to do <sighs> five miles a day you got it five miles, but you know what it is too and, and this is what i'm saying for those right whatever it may be whatever you want to work on we just had our great american smokeout uh program the last one that we aired and um we made the case i hope on that program to get a head start this is the point of getting a head start because uh, when i made that goal to hit 600 in 2021 Right. I was already by that point running probably 15 to 20 miles per week um, and began ramping up. And the the point was that once the year hit, I was already in that mode. Right. I was already 
in the routine, in the groove, had this established, um, almost established habit of running regularly where that would be a viable goal. Um, so that's why I'm making the case now, right? Next year, my goal will be a thousand miles. But um, yeah, man, okay. I, I need to hit that 600 in order to feel, you know, amped up going into the 2022. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, I really want to know what the actual numbers are right now. That would be awesome. Uh, <sighs> yeah, I, I, I feel you. I actually just signed up for my second gym membership yesterday. Um, so w- when I moved, uh, the gym that I am normally subscribed to, uh, it doesn't have any locations anywhere near me in the entire borough. Um, so, so I ended up getting a second membership yesterday. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, it was like the same kind of idea. I'm not waiting for January 1st to join the rest of the people who are coming in and, uh, and all the machines going to be taken up. Yeah. Yeah. Crowded. yeah. You're going to be trying I, to get your routine in and then like, you know, the machine is taken up. So now you got to figure out another, nah, get started now, man, get yeah. the head start. And this way you'll exactly. be in the groove. You'll be ready. You'll know what all your equipment is. Yep. Um, so yep. that's what's up. So we've made and it feels made good our even, progress. It, it feels good even if it's not the New Year's resolution. Like the the pre New Year's resolution feels just as good, ladies and gentlemen. Um, and you do you feel just as accomplished starting to do things that uh, help you to improve and be the best version of yourself. So uh, yeah, I definitely recommend jumping on that right now. Some some uh, Christmas resolutions, some Hanukkah resolutions. Uh, the holidays, uh, you know, get started now. And get, get uh, motion motion is lotion, as we're going to be talking <laughs> about today. I heard that in one of the videos uh, that I was using to, to, to learn more about lower back pain, uh, especially chronic lower back pain and some of the, uh, the different misconceptions that we hear about this. And I guess we can air it out right now, Mo. Um, we used to think that if you have any kind of musculoskeletal pain, you got to rest. And, uh, you know, a lot of times just let that it meant, go away. Yeah, just rest and let it go. And, and a lot of times it does go away on its own. You know, that's the beautiful thing about the body. But, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, you know, resting can actually be counterintuitive um, in the sense that your body will actually support its, its, uh, its regeneration through motion. So your musculoskeletal system needs that kind of motion to be able to to strengthen itself and repair itself uh, and it, at an accelerated rate. So laying down in bed for weeks on end has actually mm-hmm. been shown to have a negative impact on people suffering from uh, these kind of pains. And and uh, you know there there are obviously some exceptions. Um, yes, but for the most part, for most people, uh, being active, even if you're afraid to. Even if you think you're going to hurt yourself more, you know, being active and uh, while being mindful of your your uh, particular scenario and limitations will actually help you to uh, overcome this pain. And uh, we all experience it. I don't know a single person who doesn't have back pain or neck pain. At some point, I mean, if you look at the statistics, it's almost guaranteed at some point in our lives each and every person will experience back pain, right? And that is the topic at hand, ladies and gentlemen. Today, we're going to be talking about chronic low back pain. We actually have this as a part of a series of programs dedicated to back pain because this is something that 
as an emergency physician, I see daily, right? I don't think I've had a shift where I have not had not just one, but multiple patients with some version or form of back pain, whether it's upper, lower, mid back pain, um, maybe something distributed to the sides a little bit, right? Um, But there's back pain is just unbelievably prevalent. It is something that is not only at the individual level, right, from discomfort that individuals can experience, but at the societal level, we're talking about a vast problem. We are talking about one of the top causes of disability in this country. Um, We are also talking about the economic fallout from that, right, and lost wages for individuals, decreased economic activity. Um, we are talking about increased costs in healthcare, um, everything from hospitalizations from back pain to significant testing, right? People getting expensive MRIs and expensive testing done, having um, both invasive and non-invasive procedures to address back pain, all of this leading to significant healthcare costs, even at times some burdening of the healthcare system um, because of all of these people with back pain, right? So chronic back pain, and we're talking about chronic, right? More than 12 weeks of back pain um, being a definition of back pain. Uh, you can only imagine that, right? For somebody to have this pro- problem chronically, so more than three months, there are many individuals out there that have this pain for years on end with no end in sight to this pain. We are talking about a major problem uh, in medicine, we are talking about a major problem when it comes to individuals leading right, happy, healthful lives in general. Absolutely. And I, I've witnessed it firsthand from my father, and it has caused um, his disability in, in a major uh, part and, and led to him not being able to uh, maintain uh, jobs regularly, in, in addition to cardiovascular issues, which kind of leads me into uh, a question that I have for you, Mo, uh, are there any risk factors that you've noticed from the people who do come in uh, for back pain? Is there, Are there any trends uh, for who experiences the most back pain? Mm-hmm. And especially, are, is any of it controllable or is it just inevitable that we're all going to feel it and there's nothing we could do about it? Definitely there are risk factors. But one thing I will say is that Um, And we kind of talked about this in our overview, ladies and gentlemen. So you can definitely refer to that program for a little bit more background um, on this. But everybody, right, pretty much will experience back pain at some point or another. Um, Some of the risk factors in terms of who is more likely to experience back pain. um, So individuals older than 30, that's Maurice Donovan Selby. Uh, (laughs) so, So, yeah, 37, I'm more likely to experience back pain, which I actually have today as we speak. Uh, But then uh, individuals with a BMI greater than 30, um, I'm just going to say, right, that is also known as obesity, right? Increased weight, the more weight, essentially, the more likely you are to possibly experience um, back pain. Uh, Individuals that are pregnant, makes sense. We have a uterus, right? As that baby grows in that uterus, baby becomes larger. There's more weight on the mom can put stresses on joints, um, on musculature, uh, and so you can develop back pain. Minimal exercise. This is an important one, right? And kind of why prior to to jumping on the program, Georgie and I were talking about, I was like, yo, I got to get out for a run, even though I got this little ache on my side um, that, right, minimal exercise or lack of physical activity 
is a risk factor for developing back pain. Counterintuitive, right? You would think I'm chilling. Why should I have pain? Um, but no, this is exactly what Giorgio mentioned at the outset of the program um, is that we've learned a lot about back pain um, over the last few decades. And one thing that has consistently been shown is that um, a lack of physical activity, even when you're hurt, even when you're hurt and you have some pain, uh, some back pain, a lack of physical activity will likely lead to a person having more back pain, uh, believe it or not. Other risk factors, psychosocial factors, uh, things such as stress, anxiety, depression, uh, those individuals experience back pain at a higher rate in the population. Individuals wait, that are wait, smokers. Wait. Let's, let's, let's run that back. So you're telling me that stress and anxiety can cause back pain? It can cause, not only cause, but let's say contribute to back pain, but also, um, you know, there is something such as non-organic back pain, right? Where the cause might not actually be a physical cause, but it might be a, a manifestation, that pain might be a manifestation of psychosocial um, issues. So stress, as we said, stress, anxiety, depression, right? Mood disorders uh, manifesting as physical pain. Uh, the other thing to look at is, as far as increased risk factors for back pain, improper lifting. Um, so Giorgio and I worked in EMS um, and I could tell you <laughs> that the days where I was not paying attention to my lifting technique mm-hmm. were the days that I probably went home with a little ache. Right. And so I had to be cognizant that when I was lifting that stretcher, especially if we had, you know, a person with that BMI greater than 30 on the stretcher um, or or. We were maybe carrying somebody up and down stairs, right, using um, uh, special equipment. I had to be really cognizant of how I was lifting that patient. And so my squat game is serious, right, <laughs> as far as uh, uh, form, because that was something that I had to make sure that I paid attention to um, lifting patients properly in order to not be disabled, right? This is something I was doing in my 20s. And so I knew I needed to do this right in order to make sure that my, my spine, that my back was uh, healthy. And then finally, some chronic diseases and illnesses uh, can also predispose us to developing back pain. But in general, too, um, Georgia, it's pretty much everybody, man. Everybody will experience this at some point in their lives. But those individuals, as we just outlined, are at an increased risk of developing back pain, especially lower back pain. Yeah. And so, ladies and gentlemen, um, I think one thing that really helps us Right. In understanding this uh, issue of chronic low back pain is really parsing this out right um, into different categories. And so when we talk about back pain, there's different types of back pain, just like there's different types of uh, heart disease. Right. There are different types of strokes that a person can have. Uh, but uh, just like any other disease, there's different types of back pain. And we can break this down into mechanical back pain uh, versus things that are non-mechanical. And when we talk about mechanical back pain, we are talking about everything in the back, the back structures. And this is where I love the common sense approach to medicine, ladies and gentlemen. We emphasize that here in Health in Harlem because I think we really are empowered and we just understand our bodies and how they work. And we can think about this in many ways Um, intuitively, right, where it makes sense. So mechanical back pain, we have a lot of muscles, 
We have tendons, we have ligaments, we have bones in our back, and they all can be injured um, or stressed to various degrees, right? And so when we look at the common back structures, right, itself, um, and we just talk about a muscle strain, overstretching of the muscle, which I think I have actually, because that's what I, it's like literally right over my, the right side of my lower back. I got this little ache. Um, How can I describe it? It's kind of sharp. It's kind of achy. It when I move certain ways, it hurts a little. And you know, I had run, so I, I really pushed myself over last week. I ran ten miles on Saturday. I ran eight miles on Sunday. The goal was ten, but I, we had an obligation, so I, I cut it down a little bit. Um, and then on Tuesday, I did some indoor biking, some indoor cycling, right? And then all of a sudden, and you know, woke up and had this little ache, which I'm like, okay. I don't know what it is, but when I move certain ways, sometimes, let me see now, if I touch certain areas, it doesn't hurt really, but I think maybe I strained a muscle, right? So overstretching of the muscle, this can lead to micro tears, a little bit of damage to some muscle fibers, and that can lead to pain, right? We have a sensation there. We have nerve endings there. And so the muscle being a little injured, a little overstretched will naturally, right? I think common sense lead to pain. We have um, other mechanical causes of back pain, overstretching and injury can occur with ligaments and tendons as well, right? So these are connective tissue structures, our ligaments, which connect bone to bone, our tendons, which connect muscle to bone, just as the muscle can be stretched, maybe even torn, even at the microscopic level, the thing, the same things can happen with those connective tissue structures, Right. And again, those two can be innervated, uh, meaning they can have nerve endings present where your body can sense that (laughs) and say, hey, something is wrong at this part. Right. We have a little tear here or we stretched it too much. We put a little strain on this ligament, on this tendon, um, on this muscle. So that will give you back pain. Right. Maybe that's what it is, actually, because I touched there. I'm still trying to diagnose myself, ladies and gentlemen. But yeah. Are you you doing the WebMD Google? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, man, I guess so. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm like, but you know, it hurts. It's there. It hurts a little. Yeah. It's kind of an annoyance, but um, yeah, this is probably what I have as we speak, a mechanical cause of my back pain. So this actually reminds me of a, a joke that uh, my coach for fencing in high school used to tell us. Um, so uh, Coach Yeager was like, what used to tell us, a uh, guy walks into a doctor's office, says, Doc, it hurts when I do this. Doc says, well, stop doing it. <laughs> and it's uh, like, nice. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's, that's like what? literally <laughs> what, what you're describing is if you're straining yourself and it's causing that pain, uh, it's almost like. So stop doing the thing. That's that's the answer. (laughs) That's what I'm going to prescribe is stop doing. You know what, though? As we go further and we talk about treatment, that is your your coach was 100 percent spot on, spot on. Now, we got to tailor that recommendation a little bit and incorporate what we said at the outset of the show. Right. And that nobody's telling you to just go home and rest on it. Right, 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 right. You can't avoid it. Don't do that particular thing that makes it hurt. Yeah. If it's running in my case, then maybe I should not run today. Maybe I need to find another activity to engage in, um, like an like, elliptical uh, or something. something else. Exactly. Or just go for a walk that does not exacerbate or, or something that does not exacerbate that pain. But that's, yo, that is spot on. But when we and we, we talk about right 
chronic mechanical. Now, chronic, right? We're talking about that pain that is lasting more than 12 weeks. That's a long time. Wow. 12 weeks. We're talking about three Three months. months, right? The vast majority of back pain, ladies and gentlemen, um, we're talking about six to 12 weeks, right? That normal connective tissue, um, even when it comes to strains of our back, of uh, back muscles, right? That normally takes about six to 12 weeks to resolve in its entirety. So it, let's say even if we had some micro tears, mm-hmm. um, right? Stuff that we can only see probably at the microscopic level um, as far as injury or damage to the muscle or those connective tissue structures, the ligaments, the tendons, six to 12 weeks for it to heal, right? Um, and that's because primarily, especially with the ligaments and tendons, is not a good amount of blood supply to those tissues, right? So it takes time for your body to get nutrients there, to get those inflammatory cells there to fix those areas um, of our body. And so that's why after about 12 weeks, three damn months, that we begin to consider back pain a chronic issue, right? A longstanding issue. Now, is it is yes. it usually uh, an isolated incident, incident, or is it something that's more cyclical and has uh, uh, reemergence uh, episodes? So this is a an excellent question. One thing that I can uh, tell you is that right there. There are the majority of individuals, right? So these individuals that do or or that are designated as having chronic back pain, right? Meaning they've had that pain for more than 12 weeks. The majority of individuals, right, will still go on to recover fully from that back pain, right, after that three-month period, right? So sometime after that three months, it's likely that the, the majority of individuals will go on to recover, right, and not have that back pain you know, forever. Um, could they exacerbate that pain or could that pain come back, especially depending on the cause, if it is a mechanical back pain. So if you tore a ligament, right, um, like legit tore or micro tears or injured a ligament, strained a part of your back or sprained a part of your back, um, could that come back or could you exacerbate that injury? Absolutely. Right. There had been some damage done. Um, and so you could very well experience pain possibly at the same site, possibly at other sites um, in the future. You could exacerbate that pain again. So it could be cyclical in that sense. Now, you do have individuals that, um, and this is about about 15 to 20% of people that will go on to have more protracted pain, right? So meaning, right, after that three-month period, they're in that chronic back pain phase, 15 to 20% of those people will still go on to have pain, right, going forward. And then you have about two to eight percent that will pretty much indefinitely have pain. I don't want to say forever, but they will probably be living with some degree of pain for the rest of their life. And a lot of this is determined by um, what the cause of the pain is. Mm -hmm. Right. So in the sense of mechanical low back pain, as we said, if you've torn something um, and I'm talking about legit, you know, tore it or injured it, bruised it, um, that could lead to longer lasting pain. Mm-hmm. When we talk about, um, especially from the mechanical back pain sense, again, uh, one of the major causes, right, um, intervertebral discs. I think everybody's kind of heard these terms thrown around, slip discs, herniated discs. 
um, the intervertebral discs, right, as much as 39 to 42 percent of all cases of low back pain, especially mechanical low back pain, this is the cause. Now, briefly, um, when we talk about these intervertebral discs, we kind of talked about this a little bit in the overview of um, this back pain series. Basically, these discs are, if you look at your spine, right, um, the bony portions of our spine. So we have these stacked vertebrae, right? And on these vertebrae or these backbones, these individual pieces of the backbone, we have what's called a vertebral body. It is kind of a donut shaped in many parts of the spine um, portion of the bone. It is, has a flat surface on the top side and the undersurface. And basically, these are like stacks, right? This is why we literally refer to the, the backbone as the spinal column, right? As a column of stacked vertebrae. And in between them, right, if we had them touching each other, one, that would not be efficient <laughs> because we need our spine to be mobile, right, in order to bend over and pick, pick up things and to engage in other activities, climbing stairs, running, walking, um, all of these different, we need to be mobile, right? And so in between those vertebrae, we have these discs. Um, we can kind of think of them as these gelatinous collections, right? Cushioning between them. And they allow for some mobility as well. They can bend. They can allow us to stretch a little. And in those discs, in the center of them, we have something called the nucleus pulposus. It is predominantly made up of a bunch of uh, gelatinous collagen-like material. On the outside, we have a more fibrotic layer called the annulus fibrosis. And that is a sort of a like a tough covering of that jelly in the center, kind of like a jelly donut, actually, if you think about it. Um, but with, with this nice rubbery, like tough uh, connective tissue exterior that makes up that annulus fibrosis. Now, for various reasons, we can have that jelly, right? Um, and that annulus fibrosis, that outer covering can become weakened. Uh, sometimes it can rupture. That jelly can then bulge out. Um, into various areas. It can bulge out laterally or on the sides of the backbone um, and compress nerves and other structures that are um, around the vertebrae. You can also have it bulge posteriorly or backwards into the spinal canal itself where your spinal cord runs, and that can cause um, many problems as well. But one of the things that it can definitely cause is pain, right? Um, because that annulus fibrosis that outer covering of these jelly donut discs, I'll just call them that for fun. <laughs> <laughs> these jelly donut discs, these intervertebral discs, right? They have nerve endings, right? There are nerves that penetrate that annulus fibrosis. And so any injury to that structure, it can manifest as pain. So this indeed, right, intervert herniated, especially herniated intervertebral discs, right? Discs that are starting to bulge out of that um, that jelly donut that, that is bulging out of the spine can cause pain. And it is indeed probably the most common cause, right, of chronic back pain that we can many um, that we can identify. And so to make a <laughs> very long story short is that, yes, this can be the etiology or the cause of a person's chronic back pain. Now let's talk about other mechanical causes, right? Because that's not the end all and be all. When we talk about other mechanical causes, 
um, things such as degenerative joint disease. So this is um, arthritis of the spine, if you will, uh, where the joints are either not as mobile as before or not as lubricated um, as before when it comes to the interface or where these bones sort of join together, right? Basically, everything can become stiff. It can become more prone to injury. Um, and also, uh, because of degenerative joint disease, you might not be able to handle the same loads or weight bearing, right? And this is something especially that occurs, right, as we age. There are things that can accelerate this process, this degeneration. Um, and that includes what we talked about at the beginning of the program as far as those risk factors, right? Um, the BMI over 30, some physiologic changes and even um, anatomic changes of pregnancy can make this more common. Um, we talk about things like lack of physical activity, right? We have a good amount of calcification and um, mineral formation, right? And strengthening of bones that can occur with regular exercise, um, especially resistance exercise. So this is why, right, that lack of physical activity can lead to more pain because you can have more degenerative joint disease. And it's totally contrary to what had been believed in that, you know, if you're working out all the time and lifting things and, and exerting yourself that you would, right, maybe accelerate that, that degeneration um, or accelerate the development of, of arthritis, which can happen, but we do know, and there's concrete data to show that, right, by actually engaging in physical activity, um, we won't have or be as symptomatic from that degeneration, okay? Uh, and then when we talk about these changes, these degenerative changes, not only can the bone itself be affected, but it can also lead to um, changes in the bone that can put pressure on or cause symptoms, right, related to other structures. So, for instance, from this constant inflammation of those areas of the bone that have been injured, right, um, from this degeneration or from this arthritis setting in, which is literally, right, inflammation of the bone, we can have narrowing of certain areas. So narrowing of the spinal column itself, which can put pressure on the spinal cord and lead to some of the red flags that we will discuss uh, before programs end, right? Um, which spinal cord compression, essentially, which can lead to paralysis and is dangerous. Just want to put that out there. Uh, but also it can lead to changes in other areas of the bone where we can develop things like spinal stenosis, Right. So the areas where our nerves come out of the spinal column to innervate and control our peripheral musculature um, to control things like our bladder <laughs> um, or even um, allow us to feel right sensation. Um, those areas can become those nerves can become compressed as they come out of the spinal column uh, because of things like spinal stenosis or narrowing of the uh, exits for those nerves. And that can cause everything from pain to weakness, numbness, tingling, uh, neuropathy and neuropathic pain. And so, yes, when we talk about chronic low back pain, we, we definitely need to understand these mechanical forces or these mechanical causes of uh, that particular pain. And so when we, when we move on, right. And if we were to talk about non-mechanical causes, uh, because I think this is something that as much as we have advanced in medicine um, 
over the last few decades, over the last couple hundred years, right? I mean, if you had back pain back in the day, <laughs> nobody could really tell you, you know, you would be able to examine you and maybe give you some recommendations, um, which were kind of wrong recommendations, like go lay down and let it go away, right? Um, but then we had the advent of technology and we were able to do things like x-rays, right? We were able to do things like CT scans or computed tomography scans, aka CAT scans, now we are in the age of MRI, right, where we can look at such fine detail of all of these structures in the back, everything from the ligaments, the tendons, looking at the muscles, even looking at physiologically what's happening uh, to those structures almost at the microscopic level, right? But unfortunately, and I think this is contrary to what what we probably understand, right, in the general public, and is that the majority of the chronic back pain cases, there is no established cause. That's insane. That's insane. You would think that, Hey, we got all this technology. We should be able to tell everybody, right? If you come into my practice or you come into my emergency department, I should be able to tell you, um, and not just from physically examining you and talking to you, but at some point doing some sort of test to tell you, Hey, this is the cause, right? This is what's causing your pain. And unfortunately, unfortunately, that is not always the case. If, if actually, that is the minority of cases where we can actually, with 100% certainty, right, diagnose a patient's pain and say, this is the cause. Um, it is this slip disc. It is this um, degenerative change, right? This spinal stenosis or this stenotic canal where the nerve is coming out. We can sometimes say that, but the majority of cases especially when we talk about chronic back pain, um, we don't really have a quote unquote mechanical cause, right? Or nothing that we can see or identify at the macroscopic level where we can say, hey, this is what's causing your pain. Uh, and I, and for me, actually, it was the same reaction, Giorgio, right? When I found this out um, in medical school and in residency that there are many patients that come in with chronic back pain um, even acute back pain that I might not be able to tell them exactly what's causing the pain, right? And it's it's a letdown. Yeah, it must it's be a so letdown. frustrating for both parties involved. Yes, and so that's the thing. It, it's that is part of this illness, I think. In in that, not only do you have to deal with that discomfort um, over the long term, right? Three months is a long time, man. We talk about three months, and we talk about that pain being continued. Uh, for some time, not only is that much to bear, but then we talk about not having a definitive answer. Because I think one of the things that can be empowering from that is that once we know the cause, right, then we we think that we have a way of fixing that, right? If we see the problem, we can therefore, now that we know the problem, we can address that particular thing and fix the problem and hence get rid of the back pain. But unfortunately, ladies and gentlemen, that is in the, the majority of cases, not how this works. So then what, what good news do we have for people? Is, is there any kind of treatments or things that they can control that it is in their power um, that can help to alleviate some of the pain or uh, better yet, um, alleviate the, the origin of the pain? Well, see, that's why I love you, Giorgio, because, you know, health in Harlem, <laughs> I feel like we say this every week, right? As much as we can be the bearers of bad news or 
uh, sort of bringing this to your attention that, man, I'm sorry, you know, and many times nobody's going to be able to tell you exactly what's wrong with your back. Right. That's the bad news. And it sucks to hear that. But one thing that I find empowering in this conversation um, and really from from uh, preparing for this program and even just practicing medicine is that we are learning a lot. Right. Um, as we speak, we are learning a lot, not just about back pain in particular, but pain in general. And I think as we continue our conversation, I'm going to just talk about right pain in and of itself. Um, and this really speaks to this quote unquote non-mechanical cause of back pain, right? Especially this, these, these cases that we can't tell exactly what's causing the pain. This is why this understanding of how pain works can really inform how we move forward um, in everything from diagnosis to treatment, right? So ladies and gentlemen, there is hope. And I'm just gonna, gonna deviate a little bit just to explain Right. And and to discuss non-mechanical back pain, we need to talk about pain. Right. So when we talk about the way that we sense, let's say, discomfort. Right. Because pain, when we think about it, is more of a psychological term. Right. We're actually talking about nociception, the sensing of noxious stimuli. Right. Or stimuli that's not pleasant, discomfort in some way. Right. Or something that is not good to us. Um, it begins with our peripheral sensory neurons. We have these neurons, right? These little cells that have uh, special capabilities and they can send signals, right? And so we have these peripheral sensory neurons, um, just as we mentioned, right? These neurons are even present in that nucleus, um, uh, the annulus fibrosis, that outer covering of that jelly donut, <laughs> right? In between the, the um, spine. So let's, let's focus there, right? Let's say we have this neuron in that jelly donut on that outer covering. And basically we have these neurons, right? A bunch of them making up a peripheral nerve, right? And they can begin to send signals, right? Um, now these nerve endings, they're embedded in the skin. They're in, as we said, the annulus fibrosis or that outer covering of that intervertebral disc, that jelly donut. Um, they're pretty much almost everywhere on the body where you have these uh, nerve endings that can sense noxious stimuli, right? That are capable of nociception. Now, this information of contact with any quote unquote noxious stimulus. So um, this is any painful or unpleasant stimulus, something that's too hot, something that might be sharp or that can lead to injury to you, um, something that is putting a lot of pressure, right? Our body can sense this noxious stimulus, stimulus and those neurons, right, which ultimately form these sensory nerves, they send signals along that nerve up to the spinal cord using glutamate receptors and these neurotransmitters. That signal is further sent once it gets into the spinal cord, up the spinal cord. We have these uh, special tracks or these special nerve tracks called spinothalamic tracks. They go all the way up and enter, right, all the way up through the spinal cord, into the brain, into our thalamus. Once they get into the thalamus, they then go to other parts of the brain, um, including our amygdala. They go to the um, somatosensory cortex, which is sort of our perception or where we kind of uh, form our conscious areas of the brain, right? And they go to all of these different places um, in the brain 
um, including the insular cortex, the amygdala, hypothalamus, the cingulate cortex. And when we talk about all of these structures, right, because the dominant theory back in the day was that, yeah, it went up the into the from the nerves into the spinal cord to the brain. Right. And boom, it just sensed as pain. This is pain. Uh, but now we understand that this is a way more complex process, right? All of these structures being involved, and these structures are responsible for various things. When we talk about our hypothalamus, um, we're talking about our autonomic reactions, right? Controlling things that we don't even know that we have control of, right? That we don't really control. Um, but when we talk about things like the amygdala and some of the emotions that can come from that structure, um, or that structure being involved in our emotional uh, processing, right? We understand that this is a way more complex process. All of these structures combined basically uh, make up the pain neural matrix, um, quote unquote, where essentially the all of this pain, right? The it's not just about nociception, but when we talk about pain. Pain is an experience, right? It becomes not just these signals that are transduced or sent up and down the spine and to the brain in these structures, but it becomes something that incorporates everything, right? In terms of our, not only our unpleasant sensory encounters, right? These notches stimuli, something sharp on the ground, but also it incorporates emotional um, qualities, right? How we experience and and understand uh, this noxious stimulus and therefore pain. And so when we talk about, right, this is where the concepts of nociception and pain kind of diverge in that nociception is, if you were to look at it up in the Webster's Dictionary, all it says is that it's just the perception of a painful or injurious stimulus. Whereas pain is a psychological term involving unpleasant sensory and emotional experience. Right. And this is why I said that we are on a verge of new understanding is when it comes to not just pain, but even things like low chronic low back pain in that there are many things such as psychosocial stressors, right? Previous experiences with pain, maybe even future experiences or at least imagined experiences um, related to one's current bout of low back pain. Right. All of that informs how pain is experienced, how it is perceived by the individual. Um, And so that's why this is a new burgeoning area of understanding in that pain is way more complex than we had once imagined. Right. And part of the importance in understanding that is that it has the potential to unlock right new possibilities when it comes to diagnosis and treatment. So those majority of cases that we don't have an explanation, (laughs) maybe, right, the explanation is not in the back, possibly. Um, That's why we're not seeing anything or identifying anything. We can say, hey, this is the cause of your pain. There might be more going on um, between the brain and spinal cord, this complex communication, right, considering that pain neural matrix. Um, And then when we consider that, it forces us to consider other things that might be factoring in and contributing to a person's pain. So going back to Giorgio's point, right, um, where you were saying, like, it was amazing, like, wait, hold on, mental anguish or stress, anxiety, depression, right, that can manifest as physical pain? Well, I think now we are learning that that is the case. 
Um, and that is going to be very, very important going forward. Um, and I mean, right now we don't have all the answers, ladies and gentlemen. So maybe that's right. Um, that's the downside. Um, but we definitely have a better understanding and we do have some tangible things that we're seeing when it comes to, um, especially the treatment of chronic low back pain. We have some tangible gains that have been made. And I think that's what we're going to get into, um, pretty much right now. Yeah. So there's hope, there's hope indeed. And so, you know, when we talk about what can be done, right. Um, I think that is the big question and probably a person tuning into this program right now that is dealing with chronic pain, right? That's probably the burning question on their mind is like, well, you know, it's great to know that we have this new understanding that there's being this research being done, right? Um, to understand, right, the 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 actual origins of pain and, and what factors in, what goes into the experience of pain, right? But we don't have all the answers. So what what good is this to me now? Well, we do have um, a lot of answers in how we approach pain now. Now, when you come into the ER, let's say, right, probably the first things that you will be offered um, when it comes to treating pain, and I'm not even talking about diagnosis, that is uh, for another time, ladies and gentlemen, but in terms of the treatment of pain, Right. One of the first things that you're going to be offered is pain medicine, right? Analgesics. Um, in addition to trying to diagnose the pain. And so you're going to come in, we're going to ask a lot of questions. We're going to do a thorough examination um, and including your neurologic function, right? Making sure the nerves and stuff are functioning appropriately. Um, sometimes we can get answers from that, right? <laughs> like me, in my case, I probably have a either a strain or a sprain. Right, a strain of muscle or a sprain of some connective tissue in my lower back. And if I were to present to the ER, the doc would ask me a bunch of questions about what I've been doing. They would examine me and probably say, hey, I think you strained something. You've been doing all this running and stuff. And sometimes you don't stretch properly afterwards or warm down. Right. That's um, in our other fitness shows. We, we've talked about the importance of stretching. Right. That mobility, the importance of cooling off or warming down um, after workouts. And that might be the etiology. Maybe I pulled something or stretched it, overstretched a little, uh, maybe strained something uh, from this activity and they would prescribe me some medicine. I can't even say always medicine. One of the prescriptions that I make is exactly what we talked about at the outset of the show, which is I would say, hey, I think the, the most important thing would be activity as tolerated for you. Right. Meaning, um, as we said, what um, what did your coach say? He said that he went into the doctor and the doctor said, don't do that thing. Right. That hurts the pain. Yeah, it hurts. That is it my hurts when I turn my back like this. And then the yeah. doc is like, then don't turn your back like that. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do everything else. If you're going to walk to the grocery store or you're going to play with your children, right, play ball with your children and you can do those things without worsening that pain, you should do those things. Um, and the literature supports that, ladies and gentlemen, because. Um, as we said, the old recommendation would have been, hey, go home, take a rest, just lay down, you know, watch TV or do something that is not as active, um, maybe more sedentary and the pain will go away. Well, now we know that the pain does not always go away. And if it does, it will take longer to go away. There are times where right through that inactivity, especially with um, a possible injury of some sort, whether it's a strain, sprain or um you know, something else that is wrong, you might exacerbate that pain, 
right? That 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 spasm, and especially when we talk about strained muscles, um, you know, there's a good degree of inflammation that comes with that. Uh, there are things like spasms that can occur, muscle spasms, and the longer that you are immobile, the more likely you are to experience that pain for a longer period. Um, and so, one of the things that is prescribed initially is pain medicine, right? The purpose is to get you out of that zone of discomfort where you can't do anything. So this is a passive We need treatment. to make you more comfortable. Yes. Um, so this is, this is, hey, I'm going to give you pain medicine, right? Um, so that we can give you the ability to move, right? I'm not just saying take the pain medicine and lay home and chill. I'm saying take the medicine. And this might be my approach later is that I might have to take a Tylenol and then go for the run, you see, in order so that I can move right. um, and stay active. Um, we do have a lot of literature showing that things like NSAIDs, so non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, um, such as ibuprofen, uh, things like uh, naproxen, other things like Toradol. These are non-steroidal anti-inflammatory medications. They, one, can help with pain, right? They have good, what we call analgesic effects or anti-pain effects, uh, but they also have anti-inflammatory effects. And with many of these problems, there is a component of inflammation that those NSAIDs can help dial down that inflammation. They can keep you mobile, keep your pain under control, and they have been shown to be very effective um, when it comes to managing pain. The other component to that and kind of an NSAID-ish medication would be things like acetaminophen, aka Tylenol. Um, And so a lot of patients will come to me and they're like, what, a prescription for just Tylenol and Motrin? And I'm like, yes, <laughs> that is going to be helpful for you. Um, and, and we actually have a lot of literature now showing that taking those things together, right, um, not only do they work synergistically, meaning um, Tylenol or acetaminophen and NSAIDs work very well together for pain itself, but you'll have that bonus anti-inflammatory effects of the, um, of the NSAID as well, right? Um, and so that's one thing that's very beneficial. Other things that can aid in this discomfort are things like heat and ice therapy um, or heat and cold therapy. Also, things such as transdermal medications like lidocaine patches that you can put over the skin. All of these different ways of treating your pain. Of course, we have the things such as narcotic medications or opioids, right? Um, one thing I do want to say is that they can be very beneficial in treating pain, um, but they also, as we know, come with some downsides. And the same thing with NSAIDs, right? Um, and that long-term use of these medications, right, that is not the best way to go, especially when it comes to the NSAIDs, which can lead to problems with your kidneys. They can increase the risk of bleeding in some cases. They can cause things like gastric ulcers. Um, they can also if you had an associated injury of some sort, like a tear um, or even a fractured bone of some sort, they can also lead to poor or delayed wound healing if used for a long time. So NSAIDs, they do have some downsides. Same thing with opioid medications. We know that they have addictive potential, right, as evidenced by the current epidemic that we've had um, in dealing with uh, narcotic medications, but they can also um, cause things like profound constipation and what we call ileus. Um, they can also be deadly, right? If used inappropriately or even um, in terms of accidental overdoses, they can be deadly. So 
these things, you know, when we talk about medications, um, it is something that can facilitate, right, in terms of dealing with back pain. And especially when we talk about chronic back pain, it can uh, help in managing that pain, but it's not going to eliminate anything, right? The things that will eliminate or at least allow us to cope with chronic back pain are going to be kind of things that are at least in before were not traditional, right? When we talked about managing um, back pain in general, but now this is, these are the things that are actually sh being shown to be more beneficial um, when we talk about treatment strategies. And one of them is a multidisciplinary approach before, right? You'd probably go um, back in the day to your PCP, your PCP would evaluate you, probably refer you to either an orthopedic surgeon or a neurosurgeon to evaluate you. And they would say, hey, I need to cut into your back now because you have X, Y, and Z, right? Maybe they did an MRI or something and saw a bulging disc uh, that needed to be repaired. And that would be the recommendation. Sometimes they would say, hey, just continue to take these pain medications and we'll see how you're feeling, right, in the next few weeks. Um, but it was very isolated and fragmented care. What we're seeing now is that there is a real benefit in a multidisciplinary approach. And what does that mean? We're not just talking about orthopedists or bone doctors. We're not just talking about seeing a neurosurgeon um, or these people that can kind of be seen as mechanics, right? There's something broken. They're going to go in and fix it and you move on.com. <laughs> no, it does not work like that. What we are seeing, um, and there are special cases, and that is for a later point in this back pain series where we'll talk about the um, benefits of operative intervention, right? When that should happen or surgical intervention, when that should happen, what are the best cases um, and outcomes regarding that? But when we talk about this multidisciplinary approach, we are talking about not only having, right, um, an orthopedist or a neurosurgeon, because they're not always, right, just there to fix you surgically. They do have other ways to treat pain. But we are talking about, in addition to those specialists, maybe having a pain management specialist on board who will coordinate um, all the other actors in this mix of professions, right? So you got your pain medicine specialist coordinating everything. You have a spinal surgeon um, on board. You have a occupational therapist on board. You have a physical therapist on board. You can even have in some systems, a person with psychological training, right? Um, either a psychologist or a psychiatrist on board to manage, as we said, right? Though that pain neuro matrix. There are emotions, there are experiences that can factor into this pain. And so one thing that has been uh, consistently shown up to this point is this multidisciplinary approach improves patient outcomes. Um, when we talk about patient outcomes, we are talking about functional outcomes, right? We are not talking about the complete elimination of chronic pain. Um, as we said at the outset of the show, there are two to 8% of people that after that three-month period, right, they might have pain indefinitely. They might have it forever. But one thing that we can do is teach them to cope with this pain, uh, teach them to manage the pain as best they can, and also, right, get them to be productive and still helpful with that pain. And this is really what that multidisciplinary approach uh, affords us, Okay. The other components, right, physical rehabilitation, um, as we said, and um, actually, Giorgio, you had a, a really good say. What did you say about the um, 
Oh boy. Uh from the video you watched, the oh, saying the motion is lotion. Motion is lotion, man. <laughs> so the more you move, right? And this is where physical rehabilitation comes into play in that um finding ways for you to maintain your functionality, your mobility, um, your ability to right, do things, right? This is um, has been shown to be to reap really profound benefits in keeping individuals and also in, in terms of pain control as well, because I don't want to just talk about functionality, right? People, right, getting you back to work and things like that, um, because there's also things like vocational rehabilitation, finding ways for you to be productive, to carry out your um, work, your livelihood in a way that is safe, but also in a way that will decrease your pain. So improving functionality but also improving your experience, right? And dealing with the pain. Um, that's what all of these options afford you, ladies and gentlemen. So that's why going back to everything, right? There is hope. That's the most important thing in that. Um, as much as we want to find that magic bullet that will fix everything or completely eliminate chronic pain, um, or even just something that diagnoses it, right? <laughs> that tell you exactly what's wrong with your back or what's, what's causing the pain. We don't have that, but we definitely have learned so much about low back pain and pain in general that we are finding that these approaches are very, very, very beneficial. And not only to the individual, but also to society, right? Because we're talking about saving on savings on healthcare costs. Like not everybody needs to go under the knife for their chronic low back pain. Um, and there are some cases where going under the knife, right, or having surgical surgery can be more detrimental, um, not only in outcomes in terms of the pain levels experienced, but we're talking about functional outcomes. Um, and we're also even just talking about the risks of, right, going under the knife. There's always a risk when having um, any invasive procedure. Um, and so there are many ways in which back pain um, is being treated nowadays. And it's New stuff on the horizon, even talking about uh, medications and interventions that, right, as we learn more about pain and how it is perceived, how these stimuli or these signals are interpreted by the brain, they're talking about medications that target those pathways, right, um, so that we can minimize or eliminate pain um, in other ways other than just what we do with, with traditional analgesics or pain medications. Um, there are things like uh, injections, right, which um, can not only reduce pain, but also increase one's functionality and ability. And this is why I said the multidisciplinary is, approach is important, right? Because in addition to that physical rehabilitation, the vocational rehabilitation, um, having a either a pain management specialist or a um, a spinal surgeon, right, whether it's an orthopedist or a neurosurgeon that can give you um, intrafacet injections or intraspinal injections, right? Injections into the spine itself to reduce pain and inflammation. That's where those individuals come in, right? All of these different experts have a way of contributing to um, the care of chronic low back pain. And now, ladies and gentlemen, before we head off, I do have to mention the red flags of back pain, ladies and gentlemen, um, because this is right of paramount importance because if you are having chronic pain um, and let's say you hit that three month period, you're still having pain, but you're starting to have any of the following symptoms, you need to be seen in the emergency department immediately. Giorgio, you care to go through them? 
Sure. So, so one of them is an inexplainable uh, change in weight suddenly. Um, this would mean that, uh, or this might increase the uh, the likelihood diagnostically that uh, you might be dealing with cancer if it's a severe weight loss. Um, especially, uh, this would be important if it's a prostate, breast, or lung cancer, um, which could spread to uh, the spine and, and cause that kind of back pain. Um, in, in addition to this, if uh, you're particularly younger, uh, let's say 15 to 35 in that kind of age group, and uh, you are one of the uh, 5% of people who experience uh, this chronic pain at this kind of age range, uh, generally, uh, you might want to get checked out for inflammatory diseases like ankylizing uh, um, spondylitis, um, which would affect those intervertebral discs, uh, those that fibrocartilage uh, joint that is uh, both fibrous and cartilage-like uh, in between your different vertebrae that are basically cushioning and um, the, uh, the different uh, vertebrae from each other and, and preventing friction and uh, supporting your spine and allowing them allowing it to still be uh, mobile. So um, this kind of uh, uh, disease might affect uh, that area. And so you should uh, definitely get checked out for that. In addition to that, if you have any kind of sudden changes to your bowel or bladder uh, activity in the sense that um, if you have more frequent urination or an inability to uh, control your urination out of nowhere or changes in the frequency of your bowel movements uh, accompanied by this back pain, that would be something that you would need to uh, uh, consider. And Huge red flag. Uh, additionally, if you are a, at a risk for fracture in your back, let's say that you have osteoporosis, then back pain it will, would be something that would uh, lead you to uh, need to get checked out. Uh, because with, if you are a part of this group of people, um, there's just an increased uh, chance of uh, potential damage that is not going to be uh, benign and acute and go away on its own, but rather could leave more long-lasting impacts. And therefore, you want to uh, practice extra um, protective measures and, and preventative measures to uh, be safer about it. Uh, additionally, uh, people who are at a high risk of infection from being immunocompromised, uh, if they are also experiencing this chronic back pain that has not gone away, this would be a red flag and a reason to uh, get checked out. Uh, Mo, did I miss anything? No, nah, I'm with you on that, man. The other things I would add are fever, ladies and gentlemen. So if you have a fever and you got back pain, especially, right, not just the, the chronic pain, more than three weeks, of, I mean, uh, 12 weeks of that, you should be, you should have been in the ER. Um, but fever plus back pain, I don't care how long it's been going on, that's not a good sign, right? Fever plus back pain. And especially if you have any of these symptoms, Giorgio just mentioned, um, power or bladder incontinence or inability to urinate, that's a red flag, um, or any change in your, as he, as he said, power or bladder habits, 
um, you need to be in the ER immediately. So does that weakness, numbness, tingling, mm-hmm. so, or change in, in your strength, you need to be in the ER. Mm-hmm. And so this fever, is it indicative of an underlying infection? Like let's say sepsis, is that why it's so important to get into the hospital immediately? Absolutely. It can be sepsis from a number of different causes. Um, everything from problems, right? With things like an abscess or a little pus ball, an infection that is um, not only developing in the spine, but putting pressure on um, either the spinal cord or peripheral nerves. Another thing that can happen is individuals can have other problems, right? Um, kind of manifesting as back pain, but it's something else like kidney infections, um, pyelonephritis uh, can be very dangerous and life-threatening, can lead to sepsis and really poor outcomes. And so fever, that's why fever plus back pain is just a setup for bad stuff. You need to be in the ER immediately, especially uh, some other history. If you have a history or use of intravenous drugs, uh, you need to be uh, evaluated in the emergency department. If you're having back pain, especially if you're having some of these other symptoms, like we said, fever, weakness, numbness, tingling, bowel or bladder issues. Um, Also, ladies and gentlemen, if you are a chronic back pain sufferer, and let's say you have been to your multidisciplinary team and you've gotten an injection or two um, recently, right, into your spine um, or into your back anywhere, you should probably get to the ER, especially if you're having fevers or anything, because that could be the source of something like an epidural abscess or that little pus ball that we were talking about that can be really problematic um, and cause a lot of problems. So fever plus back pain, you had an injection into your spine or you use intravenous drugs um, such as heroin, heroin, fentanyl or anything that you're injecting into yourself. Um, you know, there are risks with that that can lead to serious problems when it comes to back pain. So those are the red flags, um, red flags as in, right, you're having those issues with back pain. You need to be in somebody's emergency department. You can come to me. You can come to me um, <laughs> down here in, in ATL. There's always somebody there, whether it's myself or another qualified, competent, you know, super caring physician. Um, but you got to get to somebody's ER stat, like emergently. You got to get there and get that checked out. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you all for listening to Health in Harlem and spending this time with us. And as always, week in, week out, the only thing that we ask of you is that you share with anyone that will listen. Um, share what you learned. Or in general, what we really ask is just share the program with anybody, right? Let them know that you listen to us, that you appreciate the information that we put out there and that you think they can benefit from it. And so share the program, even on your social media, um, talk about it at work and really just share the the good information that we're trying to get out. Also, I want to thank my colleague, Giorgio Maloof. Oh, it's my pleasure, man. Are you kidding me? It was, that's what's up. Love you guys. It was and, great. And uh, it's good to be back. Yes. And um, ladies and gentlemen, we also want to shout out the rest of our team, the Health in Harlem team. Um, They are all out there doing wondrous works throughout the world. Um, And so while you don't hear everybody every single week, we are all working um, really just to further the mission of Health in Harlem and and other capacities to right. We just do our part in the world. That's what I like to say about our team. We had a dope group. Ladies and gentlemen, also, I want to shout out WHCR. I want to shout out Angela Hardin, the general manager of the station, and Tina Dixon, the production manager. 
want to shout out the rest of the health, the WHCR family and wish everyone a healthy holiday season. We will be back next week, ladies and gentlemen, just talking about the holidays in general, um, getting ready for these major holidays coming up and also some good, good news on a nutrition front. I'm going to be talking about the 2020, 2021 dietary guidance to improve cardiovascular health updates that just came from the American Heart Association. Um, I think they had some valuable recommendations, right? Um, and not just the old stuff that we're used to hearing, like eat less fat um, or eat healthily, whatever that means, right? But they have some real tangible guidance, some good tips out there that I think we can all use, especially as we go into the holiday season, man, because I'm eating all types of stuff, drinking stuff. And yeah, I think we can do so in a way that we maintain our health, um, but while enjoying ourselves. So we're going to talk about that. Also going to talk about some Omicron business. Um, Basically, I'll keep it short and sweet with that. If you have not been vaccinated, you need to get vaccinated with this new variant. Um, I don't care how (laughs) mild they're saying the disease, um, you know, uh, that it causes. But uh, we know one thing is that it's super contagious and super contagious means that even if it doesn't cause as serious illness as other variants, there will still be a significant number of people that will end up in the hospital um, or worse, right? Um, because so many people contract the illness. So there are still people that will have potentially bad outcomes from this illness. And that's why vaccination, right? The recommendations have not changed, essentially. I don't care about the variant. The recommendations are the same. You need to get vaccinated. If you've been vaccinated, you need to get boosted um, because that can offer you even more protection uh, from having serious problems with this variant that is out there. Ladies and gentlemen, we... Thank you for tuning in once again. As always, this show is dedicated to the memory of Miss Gloria Thomas. Harlem, take care of yourself.